1: And by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ Welcome to Light of the East I am Father Thomas Loya, your host I'd like to say hello to a few people One of which I was able to meet Recently at the Pilgrimage at Mount St. Macrina In Uniontown, Pennsylvania I'd like to say hello to Joshua and his wife Good meeting you. Some of them came up to me. A number of people come up to me and say they hear the program on EW10 Affiliates and other Catholic radio stations. So I really appreciate that. In fact, I do appreciate hearing from any and all of you listeners. Why don't you drop us a line through email and let us know if you're listening to the show, your questions, if you enjoy it, and also from where you're listening, which radio station you're listening on. You can contact us at our email, Life at earthlink.net. That's T-A-B-O-R, T-A-B-O-R like Mount Tabor, life at Earthlink.net. TaborLife at earthlink.net. We'd love to hear from you, or if you have any questions or comments, let us know. Today is a great day. It's technically the Sunday after the exaltation, but the actual exaltation, the feast of that, celebrated by East and West, both lungs of the church, happened yesterday. So it's kind of soon after. The Sunday is soon after, it's the day after. <laughs> but we're in the midst of it, in other words, the post festive of that great feast. And September 14th is the actual feast, and let's look at some of the history of this feast, the exaltation of Holy Cross, again, celebrated by East and West alike. I'm going to read a little bit from this great book called the Synaxarium, which should be actually, actually in everybody's home, but in particular, any Eastern Catholic or Eastern Orthodox Christian. Any Eastern Christian should have this book in their home. They should be raising their families on this book. It's a great book of the feast day, the saints of that day, and some beautiful meditations as well. So, for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, there are two events connected with this feast. First is the actual finding of the cross, the actual cross on Golgotha, and the second one is the returning of the cross to Jerusalem from Persia a few centuries later. The story goes that staying in the Holy Land, the Holy Empress Helena decided to look for the precious cross of the Lord. Now, she, by the way, proud to say was a Byzantine, Byzantine Christian. An old Jew called Judah was the only person who knew the whereabouts of the cross and under pressure from the empress, he revealed that the cross was buried under the temple of Venus the Emperor Hadrian had built on Golgotha. The empress ordered that this idolatrous temple be pulled down, and then, digging deep below it, she found three crosses. While the Empress was in uncertainty about how to recognize which cross was the Lord's, a funeral procession passed by. Then, Patriarch Macarius told them to place the crosses one by one on the dead man. When they placed the first and second on him, the dead man remained unchanged. But when they placed the third on him, he was restored to life. By this, they knew that this was the precious and life-giving cross of Christ— Now, after that, they placed it on a sick woman, and she recovered. Then the patriarch raised the cross aloft for all to see, and the people sang with tears, Lord have mercy. The Empress Selina had a silver casing made and placed the precious cross in it. later, in the 7th century, King Chosros conquered Jerusalem took the people into slavery and carried the Lord's cross off to Persia, which of course is modern-day Iran, where it remained for 14 years. In 628, the Greek emperor Heraclius was victorious over Chosros, and brought the cross back to Jerusalem with great ceremony. Entering the city, Heraclius was carrying the cross on his back, but suddenly the aged emperor was unable to take another step Patriarch Zacharias saw an angel directing the emperor to take off his imperial robes and walk beneath the cross along the way that Christ had walked, barefoot and humiliated as he had been. He passed this vision on to the emperor who stripped himself of his raiment and in poor clothing and barefoot took up the cross, carried it to Golgotha and placed it in the church of the resurrection to the joy and consolation of the whole Christian world. So we have a double celebration of the exaltation of the cross. But actually, there is a third celebration. And that third celebration is the why behind our celebrating the first two. That third, that third celebration is the thing that makes all the difference in the world. That third celebration of the exaltation of the cross is the exaltation of the cross today. In other words, in our lives. And see, that's the significance of the liturgical calendar. Yes, as we just heard, we always are mindful of the history of these feasts. Some of this history can be kind of legendary, but there's always a truth to them. Some can be very, very factual, but there's always a truth to them, always a message to them, and that's important. But what is most important is that we look at these feast days, these events, these historical events, as our events. We are the ones that are raising up that cross and bowing before it, saying, Lord, have mercy. In fact, That's part of the very rich, elaborate ceremony that we do in the Byzantine church during the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, where the cross is richly decorated, brought from the altar in the sanctuary of the church, and brought out in front of the people. The priest actually holds it up, and the people do, in fact, bow down to it. And they say, Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Grant victory to your church over her enemies, and protect your people by your cross. Then the cross is placed in the very center of the church, just like it was in the center of the world, on Golgotha over the place where Adam was buried. That's why oftentimes in the icon of the resurrection, you see a skull underneath the cross of Jesus Christ. That's symbolic of Adam's skull. So Jesus comes as a new Adam on the very spot where the old Adam sinned and where he's buried, and he comes as a new Adam over the skull of the old Adam. The first Adam becomes a new Adam and redeems everything, even the spot, so that Christ's blood the very life fluids of Christ's body will fall upon the very earth, the very spot where sin began, and thus redeeming even the very earth that was affected by sin. And so the iconography is very meaningful, as it always is. And we bow then before this icon, this image of the cross that is richly decorated, and we bow before it and we say, we bow to your cross, Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Now, I want you to notice the last half of that phrase. We say in one breath, in one verse, two seemingly contradictory or rather complementary points. We bow to your cross. We know what the cross is. Remember what the cross was. It was a horrible symbol, a horrible instrument. And then we say, we bow to your resurrection. We bow to your cross, Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Now, I want you to notice some other text as well for this day this week, this whole week, actually, the Feast of the Cross, when we say things like this, The four corners of the earth are sanctified today, O Christ our God, by the four ends of your exalted cross. With it, exalt your faithful Christians, who destroy the power of the enemy through your cross. You are great, O Lord, and wondrous is your works. Glory to you. Notice the triumphant theme here, as we mention and pray about the cross. And notice something else. Notice the triumphant theme, and I want you to notice something in these following verses. When the Israelites battled against Amalek, Moses stood between the two men of God, thereby prefiguring in his person the undefiled passion. He raised a standard of victory by forming a cross with his outstretched hands. Through this sign, the power of Amalek was overthrown. Therefore, let us praise Christ our God for he has been glorified. Now, ordinarily, of course, this, what I just read, will be chanted. But the text that I just read, if you noticed, it was very triumphant, but also it was a symbolic reference to the Old Testament. And this gives us a clue of what we do in Eastern liturgy and how Eastern liturgy uses the scriptures. We use it in what's called an allegorical typology, especially the Old Testament. In other words, we go in the Old Testament and we kind of read back into it, sort of like we have aha moments of the Old Testament only after the coming of Christ. As we see Christ, we look back in the Old Testament and see how every detail of the Old Testament pointed in some way to Christ and also to his Blessed Mother. And so we kind of have this aha moment and look back at the Old Testament. Oh, that's what it really meant. The Old Testament, that's what it really meant. That's what these images were about. They were ultimately foreshadowing, or they were types of the archetype Christ and or his blessed mother. Here's another passage. By the way, the first one I just read came from Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 to 14. Here's another one from Exodus. This is from Exodus 17, verse one to six. When the rock was struck and gushed forth water for a calloused and disobedient people, it manifested the mystery of the church chosen by God for the cross is their steadfastness and might. Now in Numbers chapter 17, verse eight, it says, When the rod of Aaron budded, it made known who was to be priest. It was an image of this mystery. Likewise, in the church that formerly was barren, the wood of the cross has now blossomed, endowing her with steadfastness and might. When we return, we're going to talk about how we can apply the ritual of the church, this feast day of the exaltation of the cross, to our very lives. I'm Father Thomas Loya
1: on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Praying, it's not about you. And now, a Sheptytsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. The Ukrainian Archbishop Andrei Sheptytsky once wrote, When we pray for our own needs or the needs of those closest to us, we are certainly doing the right thing. But who of us actually realizes how much self-love there can be in these prayers? It may be that for such prayers we deserve the criticism of Jesus Christ, and sinners and publicans do the same. For these also love their children and care about their health and temporal goods, But when in prayer we forget ourselves for at least a moment and worship God for his own sake, a moment like this can be one when God's own Spirit prays within our hearts with those inexpressible sighs of which St. Paul says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit www.sheptitskyinstitute.ca That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y-Institute.ca
0: You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Mysticism. It keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real, the mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Long of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We are looking at some of the liturgical texts for this great feast, the exultation of the cross, and seeing how the message of these texts is triumphant, victorious. We have to remember what the cross is. The cross was an ugly, ugly, horrific instrument, and everything about it was. And yet we bow before it. We make it into gold and all kind of precious materials in all kinds of ways, and we wear it. We venerate it. We put it on top of churches. How could this be? Because it becomes now an image of triumph. And that's why the liturgical texts pray in this way. And they also pray in terms of allegorical typology. In other words, taking all the images of the Old Testament and enlightening them, showing how they all were pointing ultimately to Christ, the Christ event, and also to his Blessed Mother. Let's look at one more here. In the days of old, a sharp axe fell into the deep waters of the Jordan. The axe was returned when a stick of wood was thrown into the waters. This prefigured the cutting down of error by the cross and baptism. Now that comes from Second Kings chapter six, verse four to seven. And you're probably wondering, "What? Well, gee, I don't know if I even heard of that story." It's a short story, and one that kind of just sort of pops up there in Second Kings, kind of. Leaves you wondering about it. You know, sometimes those things happen in the Bible where a story just kind of comes in, a quick little blurb comes in. Gee, where's that from? Why is that here? But that little thing, once again, and this shows you the wisdom of the fathers of the church, how they knew the scriptures and how they knew these allegorical types that pointed to the archetype Christ. In the days of old, the sharp axe fell into the deep waters of the Jordan. The axe was returned when a stick of wood was thrown into the waters. So you see, you've got water, axe, and a stick. Three images in this brief little story, this brief little text from the Divine Office of the Byzantine Church. And it says that all this prefigured the cutting down of the error by the cross and baptism. See, cross, wood, baptism, water. So it's really very, very ingenious. It's it's amazing. It's a mystery. How the church through her liturgy and the way she celebrates these events, in other words these feast days in her liturgical calendar, how they clue us into the ultimate mystical meaning and the element of foreshadowing of all these events and elements and persons of the Old Testament. There was once a Old Testament professor that taught at the seminary I went to in Rome and he used to say, you don't even need the New Testament. Christ and his blessed mother is all over the Old Testament. Now, he didn't mean that literally, but he was making a point and a very good point as well. So as I mentioned before the break, we have to look at then, kind of like ask, well, so what? Okay, this is all very interesting and and very pious and so on. We do these prayers, we come to church, we do the ritual, but what does it do for us? That's a question a lot of people ask, especially our young people. How is it relevant? Well, I maintain it's one of the reasons I have this program or the message of this program is that this spirituality, our sacramental, liturgical, the mystical spirituality of the Eastern churches is very, very relevant and in fact, urgent for our lives. That we go into the liturgy of the church, and we unpack that vision there. And the only way to do that is to enter into the liturgy, to go to the holy days. It's more than just going to church on Sunday. It's not about satisfying an obligation. I mean, yeah, it is that to an extent, but that's not the main point. The point is we enter into the mystery of the Christ events, the events of these saints, of the history of the church, the soul of the church. And in doing so, we enter into our own mystery, our own journey. So when we go to church and we celebrate the exaltation of the cross, how is this relevant? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, first of all, by celebrating these things liturgically, we do unite ourselves with all those who came before us. It's kind of a timeless dimension of liturgy. So we actually enter into heaven. We actually kind of put one foot into heaven in a a very mystical, but very real way. And we unite ourselves with all the saints, the mother of God, Christ, all those who came before us who are now in heaven. And this actually strengthens us spiritually. It amplifies our prayer. It delivers our prayer and our, in fact, ourselves, our intentions, our souls, our spirits. It, It delivers them more intensely, more thoroughly, more comprehensively to God it only happens in liturgy. So there's a real touching of heaven, a real touching of God, a real sort of transcending all time, entering into what we call kairos time that happens in the liturgy. It's a marvelous experience when you think about it. But also, as we look at the cross, what are we saying? We all this victory and holding it up and bowing before it, wearing it, venerating and exalting it, kissing it, decorating it, making it out of gold and precious metals and beautiful wood and so on, what is that? Why? Because the cross is something that, first of all, we can never ever take out of the equation of life, of faith. And this becomes an extremely relevant point today, and one that hopefully will help you and all Christians, especially Catholics East and West, to understand what the tension is between the secular world and us. There was a non-Catholic world, East and West, and the secular world. That tension basically is this. However well we articulate the beautiful teaching of the church and of Jesus Christ, the gospel, there are many who will walk with us through that, and we can be rather convincing and alluring along the way. But the problem is, the challenge is, not really a problem, but the challenge is, that we come to a crossroad. And that crossroad is the cross. That's the piece that we cannot take out of it. And people who may dare to walk with us, in other words, to hear what we're about, to maybe be somewhat enticed by it, interested, they will have to make a choice. That this faith that we have shared with them so far, that sounded maybe pretty good so far, pretty convincing, is going to involve they're dying to themselves and rising to the other and therefore to their best selves. That's the sticking point. That's the crossroad. And remember it was in the beginning. Do you remember what happened when people walked by Jesus Christ when he was on the cross, when they jeered in him? What did they say? They said, we'll believe in you. Just come down from the cross. In other words, everything's okay. Just no cross. Take that out of it. And we'll believe, we'll follow Jesus everywhere. I mean, you're cool. You're powerful. We love that stuff about healing people, giving sight to the blind. You know, you're so gentle and tender and forgiving and loving. We love all that. That's great stuff. But the cross, eh, you know, that kind of gets in the way. Get rid of that. Everything will be fine. And of course, that's the one thing Christ would not get rid of. And why not? Well, first of all, because it meant our only means of getting to heaven, of redemption, of triumphing over death. But it also gives us a truth, a vision, a triumph over all things that might be difficult in life or tragic or negative. In other words, the tragedy, the trauma, the death, the sickness, the disappointment, the hurt, all those things, as terrible as they can be, are not the last word. That those things can become redeeming. They can be turned into a gift. They may not be gift in themselves, of course, but they are turned into gift. In other words, what comes out of them can be astounding, can be miraculous, can be redeeming. And that is by virtue of the cross. That's the real practical wisdom of the cross. So therefore, nothing ultimately ought to get us down. We ultimately ought not to feel defeated or despairing about anything. Yes, we can have our down moments. Christ cried out in pain in the cross. It didn't feel good. But yet he knew that that cross and his triumph through it and over it was going to be the last word. In other words, something triumphant, something positive, so that nothing negative would ever be the ultimate power on this earth. Satan, although he roams around creating havoc, will not be the ultimate power on this earth or over you and me, unless we allow him. But it would be this image and this reality of the cross. But it will require everyone, to die to self, to say no to ourselves continuously. This is called asceticism. This is called ratifying our baptisms, our baptismal promise, over and over again. It'll require that of us, time and again, in little ways and in huge ways, in seemingly not so significant ways and in profound ways. But that is the only way to the full realization of our real selves. To our holiness and ultimately to heaven. And so, this is how we can maybe understand a little bit better and be better prepared to confront, to dialogue, converse with the world beyond us that does not accept us, that ever increasingly wants to persecute us as believers. We have to understand that the sticking point is not our teachings, not us personally, it's the cross. Because in our day and age, no one wants anything or anyone to tell them, I have to say no to myself? Are you kidding? How dare you? See, that's the cross. But the cross is that passage to the fullness of their humanness and their happiness. They just don't get it. But that's your job and mine as evangelizers. So the cross has this great hope for us and also helps us understand where people are at and how to work with them in a better way in terms of being evangelizers. There are many, many more things we can say about the cross. And there are many things we can say about all of the feast days of the church and the relevancy of its liturgy. We're going to continue to look at this on our upcoming programs. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear
1: this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com that's byzantinecatholic.com or hear it, again hear it again hear it again hear it again for the first time light of the east is produced by adc media
0: thank you for listening next week we will return to the light of the east to find out more about annunciation byzantine catholic parish visit our website byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs in order to continue this program with this mission of christianity's reunion we need your support with a donation any amount would be a blessing please make out a check to light of the east radio and send it to light of the east 14610 will cook road homer glen illinois 60491 that's light of the east One four six one O, Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L dash C O O K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you. Go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.